Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Uh, Well, good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you here this morning. Thanks for joining us. My name's Andy Fernley. I'm on the staff here. I'm the Minister for Students. And um, uh, just a couple of things before we dig into this passage. Do keep it open in front of you. We'll be spending a bit of time looking particularly at verses 11 and 12 together. Um, If you're a scribbler and it helps you, there's a handout in the bundle you were given. So that might help you just to follow along. Although, of course, the thing you'll need most is uh, is, uh, simply the Bible as we get into it. Um, Just to say, as well um, that uh, I, uh, I don't bite and I'll be standing just at the door on the way out. And so if you're new here, I'd love to meet you. If you have questions about the talk, feedback, uh, things that, you, uh, that came to mind that you love to chat to me about further, I love questions and love to just chat things through and I love to meet new people as well. So whoever you are, do feel able to grab me on the door and have a bit of a chat if you want to. But hey, I'm, I'm just going to pray and then let's dive into this passage together. And so let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for the living and enduring word of God that you have given us. Thank you that it is a word that brings new life, a word that changes our hearts and minds and lives forever. And we pray that this morning as we get it open, you please help me to explain it clearly and help us all to believe it and to be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how can the Christian church have a greater and deeper impact on the society that we live in? That's what we're going to be thinking about this morning. How can the Christian church have a real impact on a secular and in many ways increasingly hostile society? Uh, If you're anything like me, if you're a Christian person, you'll want to do everything that you can to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, both in personal conversation and um, by inviting people where you can. I I hope that you've been inviting people to the carol services this evening, next weekend, and some of the other Christmas services as well. If you're anything like me, you will long to see Sheffield and our nation full of Bible-believing and gospel-teaching churches with thousands coming to hear the life-giving message of Jesus Christ week by week. And yet, if you're anything like me, you will know what it feels like to live in a culture that is often indifferent to the claims of the gospel of Jesus, in many cases hostile to the Christian message. It It can feel like there's a wall of indifference and hostility and and the words of the gospel just don't seem to have the weight and impact and plausibility 
that we know that they have. I was uh, in a bookshop recently, and I had a bit of time to spare, and um, I'm a bit sad like this, so uh, I went to see if there were any books on Christian theology that I could pick up in the bookshop, and um, I walked past uh, the aisles uh, upon aisles of shelves of um, biographies of famous sports people, and um, considering some of these footballers are in their 20s, they have a lot to say, as it turns out. Um, I I went past the aisles of celebrity cookbooks, and apparently um, the number of different ways that I could um, lose weight by cutting out or adding more meat or cutting out or adding more vegetables um, are worthy of shelves and shelves. And finally, I got to a small section just in one corner labelled religion and spirituality. And as I surveyed the section in front of me, um, I was greeted by a dozen or so books by, uh, by new atheists like Richard Dawkins, um, Sam Harris, and um, the other sort of big names of the anti-Christian movement, really. Uh, a number of other books on, uh, on Reiki, transcendental meditation, and all the other things you'd expect in the religion and spirituality section. And, and just down in the bottom corner, a Bible and a couple of rather sad-looking books on the Christian faith. And look, I, I'm, I'm not knocking the bookstall. You know, if, if you're a, you know, if you own a bookstall, you have to stock the books that people will buy, of course. But I thought it was something of a parable for the age that we live in. Uh, Christianity, uh, a small thing to be pushed into the corner, J- just a few books in the corner, um, and where it is talked about, frankly, outnumbered by the hostile voices who think little of Jesus who actively hate what the church stands for. And I guess if you're a Christian here today, you will know what it feels like to live in that culture and to want to speak to people about Jesus. And yet, how often it feels implausible. It just seems to lack weight as we talk about our Christian convictions. And what can we do to ensure that the gospel is heard with the weight and impact and plausibility that we know that it deserves? Well, um, Peter was writing his letter into a very similar context to ours in many ways, a multicultural society in which Christians felt small and marginalized and frankly faced hostility for their Christian beliefs from all comers. And in in the verses that were read for us this morning, Peter lays out a very simple strategy for the Christian church to have a significant impact on that society. It's a very simple strategy. Let's read it again in verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, that is, those who don't follow Jesus, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Here is Peter's strategy to have an impact on the world. It's disarmingly simple, isn't it? Peter says, live distinctive lives in the world because you know that Jesus is coming back. That's it. Peter says, if we want weight and impact, live distinctive lives in the world because we know that Jesus is coming back. 
Now let's break that down this morning into the strategy itself, live distinctive lives in the world, and then think a little bit about the motivation, the return of Jesus. And so to begin, and Peter, Peter says, live distinctive lives in the world. Uh, he reminds Christians in verse 11, just have a look at verse 11, he reminds us that we are aliens and strangers in the world. Uh, it's a word for exiles, for, for, for refugees, for foreigners living in another country. I don't know if you've ever lived overseas in your life. Anyone here ever lived overseas in your life? There's a few, a few nodding faces anyway. I spent, a few, uh, I spent a few months some years ago in Argentina, and I'll tell you what, I've never felt so British in my entire life. It, it's not just that there was a 20-metre-high mural of Maradona and the Hand of God moment in the 86 World Cup on the supermarket that I shopped at, which I had to see every week. But did you know that in Argentina, when you greet, uh, as a man, when you greet another man, for example, at church or something like that, it, it, it's culturally normal not just to give them a hug, but to give them a kiss on the cheek. Uh, now, let me tell you, if you try that on the door afterwards, you, you will have never seen a Christian minister move so fast as you will this morning. But I have never felt so British as I did in those few months. No one feels their culture more keenly than an expat than a refugee, a foreigner. And Peter says, you're an alien and a stranger in this world. In the culture that you live in, you belong somewhere else as a Christian. You belong in God's new heavens and his new earth. And you owe your allegiance to another king. Uh, the culture that you live in will have its own customs. 101 ways in which the world we live in does things in its own way. They will um, bend uh, the rules at work to get on. Uh, they will speak maliciously about people they don't think highly of and encourage others to do the same. They will see Christmas as an opportunity for um, consumerism and uh, over-excess and, um, and drunkenness at Christmas parties. But Peter says you're not to do the same. You're aliens and strangers you have your own culture. You have your own way of doing things. You owe your allegiance to another place and another king. Live distinctive lives. And he gets quite specific, but it is quite simple, quite specific. There's a negative and a positive to living as an alien and a stranger. Just look at the negative in verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Uh, Peter says that the negative side of living as an alien and a stranger is to reject sin, to abstain from sinful desires. Uh, I don't know what you like to watch on TV. I love the sort of Cold War spy dramas. You know, there was a John le Carre series this autumn. I don't know if you saw it. Um, I think you can still get it on iPlayer. But, but I love those dramas because they're full of sort of moles and double agents. And, and you don't really know who to trust. There's a whole war going on beneath the surface in the Cold War. And Peter says that for the Christian, there will be a war going on beneath the surface. We had desires attached to our previous way of life. Uh, just have a look back at chapter 140, uh, verse 14 with me for a minute. 
Uh, Peter says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. You see, um, Christians had desires that characterized our previous way of life, and we have not left those desires behind when we became Christians. They're still in us. We are still tempted to say to ourselves, I'll be more comfortable in this world if I fit in with the culture that I live in. It's okay to have one foot in the Christian faith and one foot in the world. Frankly, don't you just want to do the things that they're doing? We have those desires in us. And Peter says there is to be a war going on beneath the surface, that we are to abstain from those desires, to battle them, to, out, um, to reject them clearly in our lives. Peter says resist. A war beneath the surface. Where we feel tempted to go with the flow, we're to stand firm and say no. As aliens and strangers, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Uh, We need a dose of realism on this point, don't we? Because often do we not look at non-Christian friends and think, they're just quite free. They seem quite happy with the way that they're living. And Peter says it's a war. Maybe I just watched too much TV, but I've been watching the, um, the Peter Jackson um, documentary on the First World War um, in, in little installments. It's a bit too intense for me to watch the whole two hours. But the sheer devastation that the Great War brought upon northern France, a, a wasteland that that part of the world was turned into. And Peter says, these desires wage war against your soul. They might sound appealing, look freeing, feel good at the time, but Peter says they destroy and kill. Uh, Literally, it's a war against your life. They want to drag you down to death, Peter says. And so here is the first part of his strategy, very simple, Reject sinful desires. Say no to the longing of your heart to simply fit in with our culture and go its way. And then positively, verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans. Live good lives among the pagans. Christians aren't just to say no to doing wrong, but to actively seek to live positively holy lives, to love our neighbors and do good to the people around us. And that, that word, that phrase, good lives, um, it's a key phrase for Peter in this part of the letter. In verse 12, um, Peter uses it twice, doesn't he? Live good lives that they may see your good deeds. But if you read through the middle section of the letter down to about chapter 4, verse 11, he uses it another 13 times in that section. Don't just resist evil, but do good. The Christian life is not just about saying no to things, but saying yes to positive, compassionate, caring, and life-giving holiness. And over the next few chapters, if you wanted to read 1 Peter 3 this afternoon, you would find him spelling out any number of things that this might look like. 
It might look like respecting your boss. It might look like obeying the law, being a considerate husband or wife, speaking compassionately and humbly, speaking well of people when they speak ill of you. Peter says, here it is. If you want to have an impact, reject sin and seek to actively do good in the world. And it's key that we don't miss that point. Have a look at verse 12 again. Live such good lives among the pagans. Now that's Peter's um, uh, way of saying among those who are not Christian believers. Um, More literally, we might say among the nations. Among those who don't follow Jesus is what he means. And Peter says we're to do this, reject sin and do good in the world, not cutting ourselves off, not living in a Christian bubble, but among the pagans. Uh, Let me introduce you to three characters. Uh, They're fictional, but only just. Uh, The first one we'll call Worldly Will. Uh, Worldly Will, you can probably guess he's not going to be a positive example. Um, Worldly Will um, says that to reach people, we really need to get out there into the world and as a consequence of that, he doesn't spend much time with other Christians. Uh, he, he probably rightly accuses the church of often being a holy huddle. And he's often been heard speaking of his Christian freedom. Christians are free to drink alcohol, he says. And it seems to me that biblically he's right. But in Will's case, often because of that lack of Christian accountability and Christian friendship, drinking alcohol leads to him getting drunk which the Bible is quite clear is wrong. Worldly will is living the pagan life among the pagans. The non-Christians he knows, they see his life, but they see no difference. And so he's not much good at having an impact on the society and the people that he knows. Worldly will is the Christian chameleon who changes colour depending on who he's with. And so he has little impact. So that's worldly will. Uh, How about pious Priscilla? I apologize if you're called Will or Priscilla here this morning. I was doing my best not to um, pick anyone I knew. Um, Pious Priscilla. If worldly will is a chameleon, I suppose pious Priscilla is probably a tortoise. Um, She spends lots of time with other Christians. She's very committed at church. She's here twice on a Sunday. She never misses small group. She's active in her Christian union. And um, to give full credit to pious Priscilla, she's doing far better than worldly will because she is serious about her Christian life. You know, the Christian is someone who, who reads the Bible and believes what it says and wants to put it into practice, trusting Jesus to forgive them and wanting to live and build their life on his words. And she, she's doing that. But when her non-Christian friends invite her out, the typical answer is, I'm sorry, I'm just too busy. She's got so much on at church. And they're all good things. But she never spends meaningful time with non-Christians. And so you see, pious Priscilla is living a distinctive life but not having much impact because it's never seen by anyone. Living the good life among the Christians. 
and so worldly will, pious Priscilla, neither of them have much impact. The person who has got Peter's strategy here, I'm going to call biblically balanced Brian. (laughs) And if that isn't the least exciting superhero you've ever heard of, I don't know who is. And yet, he's understood both parts of Peter's strategy, that we are to live distinctive lives in the world. Someone suggested to me that the animal he's most like um, from Matthew 10 is a sheep sent out among wolves. And so I don't know how you think about that image, but here is someone who is living a distinctive life, but actively seeking to do it in the world, in friendship with those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. He's committed to his church. He's actively seeking to get to know more of his Lord Jesus and to live out what Jesus teaches. But he's also active about making time to spend with his non-Christian friends. And so here is someone who wants to struggle against sin and to seek to do good, but to do it in the world. And so while his um, colleagues are willing to um, lie to get on at work or to fiddle their expenses, he seeks to be scrupulously honest. Uh, A friend of mine was called into a meeting with his boss um, who actually um, criticised him for not claiming enough on his expenses. He'd just committed to be completely honest. Biblically balanced Brian doesn't sleep around uh, even though his uh, mates call him a prude or naive or, or worse. Only as a joke, of course. But over time some of Brian's friends start to sit up and take notice of the way that he's living and start to ask questions. Living a distinctive life in the world. Now listen, two observations about Peter's strategy. First of all, did you notice it's actually, it's actually a very simple strategy, isn't it? What we're talking about here is really just basic Christian living, living what we believe, repenting of sin that we know that Jesus hates and trusting in the Jesus who died for us and seeking to live out the things that he teaches. I don't know about you, when I'm struggling to um, persuade my friends that they ought to pay attention to Jesus, I'm tempted to think, if only. A couple of years ago, I read an evangelistic book that was so um, intellectually convincing that I left feeling both sort of encouraged and discouraged. Encouraged because the book was brilliant. Discouraged because I felt like if only I was as persuasive as this guy, then my friends would really believe. We're tempted to think if only, aren't we? If only we had um, some more um, celebrity endorsements of the gospel. If only, um, if only the preachers at our church were just a bit more convincing. If only we had powerful miracles in the services, then no one could deny what we were saying had weight and truth to it. And Peter says, no, it's, it's much more simple than that. As Christians live what they believe, as we live distinctive lives in the world... There are people who will speak ill of us, but many will sit up and notice. Do you see, the thing that you can do to give the greatest plausibility and relevance and power to your Christian witness is simply to think about every area that you're tempted to sin in your life and struggle not to. 
to look for every opportunity to do good that you can and seek to do it, to live the Christian life, a distinctive life in the world. So it's a very simple strategy. Uh, Notice too, it's not an, an alternative to speaking the gospel, this strategy, or an alternative to prayer for that matter. Peter's letter is saturated with the message that the gospel needs to be heard. And I hope you believe that. No one will become a Christian simply by seeing your life. The good news is news, and people must hear it. 1 Peter 2, verse 9. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Look how Peter describes the Christians in chapter 1, verse 23. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. How? Through the living and enduring word of God. Chapter 3, verse 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Do you see, this is not an alternative to speaking the gospel to people, but Peter says if our words are to have weight and impact, what we need is very simple. Live the Christian life as you speak the Christian gospel. And of course, it's not an alternative to prayer either. As I said a couple of weeks ago, you can trace through 1 Peter how often Christians are called those, are described as those who call on God as Father. And yet Peter says, as we pray, as we speak, it's very simple. Live distinctive lives and there'll be those who notice. So if that's the strategy, let's think then for just a few minutes about uh, our motivation. And the motivation I'd suggest that Peter gives us here is that we know that Jesus will return. Have a look at verse 12 with me for a minute. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, we need Peter to um, give us motivation here, don't we? Because Peter's quite up front in these couple of verses that although his strategy is very simple and you don't need to be super clever or super powerful to do it, it will be hard. We've talked already about um, the battle within our sinful desires that wage war against us. There's also a battle without that Peter describes in verse 12. You know... um, I don't know if you've, um, you've probably heard of the famous advert that Shackleton put out for a crew on the endurance. You know, have, you've heard this one apparently in the Times. It said, um, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honour and recognition in case of success. You know, it was a... A pretty um, grim advert, and it can feel like that with these verses, can't it? Um, Sinful desires, a war within, and a war without. Verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong. Do you see that? They accuse you of doing wrong. Peter says, not only will it be hard to resist sin in our own hearts, but there'll be many who don't thank us for doing it. There'll be those who speak ill of us, who accuse us of being wicked 
when we're being good. I think the reason for this is because Peter is not saying in these verses, Christian, be nice. Christian, do what you can to make everyone like you. He's saying, Christian, be good. Obey God in a culture that hates him. And when you do that, there will be many who oppose you for it. Uh, Some of you will uh, know, if you've been around for at least one term at Fullwood, um, you'll know that um, just in the lead up to Christmas, we pack um, shoeboxes full of gifts to send to um, children uh, in poverty around the world. And in each shoebox goes a a little booklet that explains something of the Christian uh, Christmas story. And... um, Uh, On the 8th of November this year, The Guardian ran an article um, with this headline, This Christmas, Beware Evangelicals Bearing Gifts. And the thrust of the article was that the shoeboxes that this and other churches were sending were promoting Islamophobia and hate around the world. Why? Because as well as gifts, there was a little booklet containing the Christmas story. If you're here this morning and you got involved in the shoebox appeal, do you realize there are a sizable number of people and at least one journalist at a national newspaper who thinks that you're peddling hate around the world? A friend was telling me how his wife made a commitment to avoid malicious gossip in her workplace. She had a boss who was frankly awful, and it was quite hard because often she, she actually agreed with what people were saying. But as a Christian, she committed herself to be respectful towards her boss in what she said about him. And people hated it. You're arrogant, they said. You think you're better than us. They hated that she didn't join in. If you're a Christian doctor here this morning and you refuse to have anything to do with people having abortions, you do good. You defend the sanctity of life and the fact that human beings are created in God's image, whatever age or stage of development they are. And yet, let's be honest, there are people who will say that you are being wicked if you do that. And Peter says, if you do good, there will be those who accuse you of doing wrong. They criticize you. You see, he's not saying be nice, make everyone like you. He's saying publicly obey God and expect people to hate you. So why do it? Peter, give me some kind of motivation if it's going to be that hard, a battle within, a battle without. And look again at verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. See, Peter says... Do it because you know that Jesus will return. Um, The day he visits us is a phrase from the Old Testament prophets that describe the end of the exile of the people of God. Uh, God's people were living in a foreign land as aliens and strangers, but God promised he would come and rescue them and bring them home where they'd see him face to face, where they'd no longer feel like foreigners in a strange country. And if you read Peter's letter, you'll see with clarity that everyone who trusts in Jesus' death and resurrection for them is promised that Jesus will return 
and bring them home to be with him in a great new heavens and new earth. And and Peter says there will be a day when he visits us. Let's just be clear about it for a moment. On that day, every knee will bow and every person will acknowledge the rule of King Jesus. Whether they love him for it or whether they weep and gnash their teeth and hate him for it, everyone will acknowledge the rule of King Jesus on the day that he returns. If you're a Christian, you know this. If you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you can be certain of this. But here's what Peter says. There are some who today think little of Christians and, and, um, and, and hate the Lord Jesus. But on that day, they will glorify him and praise him. And what will happen between today and that day is Christians seeking to struggle against sin and live good lives and speak of Jesus. And people will sit up and listen and become those who glorify God. Do you see, Peter says, what matters more than what people think of you today is what they think of God on that day, the day that he visits us. Don't we see it time and again? I was um, uh, reading in my quiet times um, this week about um, Augustine, one of the greatest Christian thinkers in the history of the church. And um, he lived in the fourth century. He was, a, he was a, an atheist philosopher, um, or at least he was into the sort of philosophy of the day, very anti-Christian, started going to the church of one of the greatest preachers of the day, a guy called Ambrose, great name, isn't it? If you're having children soon, think about Ambrose as a name. But it wasn't the preaching of Ambrose that grabbed Augustine's attention, but his kindness. You see, he needed to hear the word, but the word was given power and plausibility by the kindness of this Christian man. I think about my own conversion. Uh, I um, was um, greatly blessed as a 16-year-old to have a Christian friend in my secondary school who invited me to his church youth group. And um, when I heard the gospel for the first time, I was blown away by the person of Jesus. But for six months before I even heard the gospel, I was just coming along and getting to know some of the other Christians And I remember being captivated by how kind they were to one another, how willing they were to accept the most uh, awkward and uncomfortable people, how generous they were with their time, how they spoke well of each other, how they welcomed me. I needed to hear the gospel, but it was given weight and credibility by the lives of those Christians. And you see, Peter says, out of love for your neighbor... If you know that Jesus is coming back, it's worth doing it. It's worth turning from sin and seeking to do good, even if people hate you for it. Because it matters more, not what they think of me now, but what they think of him on the day he returns. And some will see him for who he is, so that they become those who glorify him on the day he visits out of love for your neighbour, would you seek to live distinctively this Christmas?
How can the church have a greater and a growing impact uh, this Christmas as we seek to invite our friends to come and hear the good news, as we long and pray for them to rejoice in the birth of King Jesus? What can we do to add weight and impact and plausibility to gospel words? Live gospel lives. Live gospel lives. Distinctive Christian lives in the world because we know that Jesus is coming back. Let me pray. Our Lord God, we thank you for the living and enduring word of God that changes hearts and lives forever as we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that this Christmas you would help us to be those who hear, who reject sin, who do good, and that you would help our friends and our loved ones to hear too and to see in our lives something that lends plausibility to what they hear. Have mercy this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.